moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. Uh, I got in some trouble as a child. And the trouble that I got in is that they would call and tell my mom that when hey, Jesse gets done with her tests, she starts helping all of the other students and giving them answers. Now, I was well-intentioned with that. I always found myself wanting to bring everybody along with me. If I was winning, I wanted everybody to win. What I didn't know is that was the beginning of who I was and how I was wired. And I stumbled upon, I went to college, my undergraduate degree was in business computer systems, interesting enough, but eventually some kind of way I stumbled into educational administration and I found kind of the place that I was supposed to be moving into higher education and it allowed me to really help people. And so I am a true person-centered type of individual that just wants to see people realize their full capacity. And a lot of that is due to my own challenges trying to make it in life. I'm first generation, a college student, the first in my family, in my immediate family to get my bachelor's, probably the third in my extended family to get a master's, and the first, at least on my mother's side, to get her doctorate in all of my extended family. Historically, if you wanted to get access to information, you needed to go to your local library, physically go there, and or you had to go to a college or a university or some sort of academic institution to unlock the door to information that would allow you to be successful. And so in that regard, libraries, schools served as the broker to success, if you will. They, you had to go through the library, through the institution to get to success. But the internet was born at some point. Now, when it was initially born, that alone did not change everything, but slowly over time, something began to happen. And what has caused us to rethink how people learn and how they get their information is the monetization of information. And so now, whether you're on YouTube, Instagram has a monetization program, Facebook will now pay you for views and likes and subscribers. And the way that people get subscribers is they provide free information. Now, again, some of it is not good, but some of it is excellent. And so what has happened now is that there is no longer one broker to information. So start with what is the transformation and walk backwards. And the reason why that's important, and that's not, again, earth shattering, but the reason why that's important is people no longer have an appetite for things that are not going to get them to where they need to get to. And they say, listen, if this is not going to get me to the point of success, I don't want it. And now part two of our learning and development masterclass with Dr. Jesse Wade Ivory. People are like, I don't want to do it. So we have to be hyper-intentional about what do we include in this program to best ensure that we get people to the end goal that they desire. So that is one of the changes with the curriculum. In terms of design, there's a few things that this new 
environment that's brought upon us. One is frictionless experiences. And I call it the Uber effect. For those of us that are old enough, when you previously had to take a taxi, you had to first find out what is the taxi cab's telephone number. Then you had to call the taxi cab and then you had to get the dispatcher. Hopefully they were answering. Then they had to tell you to hold on a second because they have to get in touch with somebody that is driving. That might be 10 minutes. And then they have to tell you that person is dropping somebody off on this side of town and they'll be to get you in an hour. We were okay with that when it was happening because that's all we knew. Now I can push a button as the plane is landing. A stranger will come and pick me up and I can be to my hotel in 20 minutes. I never have to pull out my money. My phone pays them and I keep it moving. Now, why is that important to our discussion? It's now made things very frictionless and easy. It is not hard to get a ride. And it's not just with Uber. You can now watch TV on your phone. It's very normalized right now. But you used to have to wait until your show came on whatever day that was and you had to be near a TV. These are all things that have now conditioned us to want things easy and accessible. And so whenever we're designing a learning experience and you make any part of that experience difficult to get to, people don't want to deal with it. So that's not just the experience within the learning and development or the training program but it's also the intake experience. If I have to get to a computer just to register, problem. If I can't do it on my phone, problem. If I can't do it while I'm driving on my phone, problem. People don't want to deal with that. They don't have the appetite for kind of these gridlock experiences because we've been so accustomed through all of our daily life experiences to frictionless experiences. And again, we're hyper-distracted. We're very busy. And it needs to be easy. It can't be hard. The irony is, too, is that the it's really the frictionless experience that's actually causing some of that. Because we, oh, it's yeah. so easy for us. It's so easy for us to pivot. And, and what I normally call it when I'm talking with clients is the Amazon effect, right? It's just mm-hmm. you get it instantly. And I think so many organizations miss that on-demand element that you're talking about throughout their whole supply chain. Just the, from I need it now in terms of a product, I need it now in terms of information. I, my appetite for, to what you said earlier, being, just being patient and waiting. That's, and spot on COVID accelerated all, because that was happening anyway. We saw it, but to your point, COVID-19 just, it was like putting high octane fuel and unleaded engine and it just took off. Thanks again for mapping out two phenomenal process items. And I'm making a specific point to call it out on One end, you talked about, okay, what are the considerations and beginning with the end in mind? There is a strong parallel with what you described across multiple areas of functional and technical project management execution. So what you described where you're taking the end goal, drilling that down into smaller chunks and then smaller chunks that drive into tasks. There's Mm -hmm. an agile methodology component where you're taking your sprint and building it down into an epic and then your tasks or your stories. And then that leads you to a milestone that you need to execute before you take on the next task. So mm-hmm. when you're thinking about any sort of learning delivery, this is just from a principal's perspective, it has fundamental application across anything. The other thing that you mentioned was you're talking about a frictionless experience from an education perspective, but think about the world of work. Every functional group in 
a business is thinking about how can we make the process of our customer engaging in business with us as easy as possible? Where are the places that are getting broken because it doesn't meet the on-demand criteria that Mm -hmm. a customer is dealing with? So again, drawing it back to if you're online shopping, if I have to call somebody to get a product detail, I'm going to bail out of the site. If I log into a site and it takes longer than three seconds to load, I'm going to bail out and go to a different site. If I can't look at my inventory in the same view as I'm continuing to browse between my cart and like my selection, I'm going to bail out. If I'm in a sales environment and a prospect visits my website and can't figure out within three seconds or eight seconds, what do I do as an organization or provider? They're going to go look at something else. So these are all different breakage points and friction points that broadly apply to any business. And this, if any organization is thinking about, oh, okay, hey, I need to deliver training or, or, or build improvement in these areas, mm-hmm. you start with your customer first and figure yeah. out what are the things that the customer is telling me is broken that's keeping them from doing business with me. In development perspective, who's your, learn- who's your customer? That's your student. How are you delivering to meet the need of the student where they're at and in a way that's important to them? Something else that Jesse had called out and is the idea of the reverse engineering. And I think how organizations get caught up is you said this, right, which is you identify the gap and you're trying to fix the gaps as opposed to reverse engineering and going all the way back and then working your way backwards from there. And Jim, you said it as well, the idea and notion of when you're talking to the customer instead of, and Jim says this quite a bit, and I agree with it. Folks will talk about how great they are, how great their product is and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And because of this frictionless experience that people are looking for, they're sitting there going, I don't care about what you're talking about. I have a problem. Like you mm-hmm. fix my problem. Those bells and whistles, they look amazing. But those bells and whistles aren't what I need. I need a hammer to put this nail in. And when you are describing that, and I think Jim talked about this, the agility model, how would you advise on or what are some successes that you've seen with regard to embedding applications? How does an organization embed that into their processes? I'll acknowledge that it's not easy. If you have a organization that has been in existence for some time, There are all kinds of policies, seizures. There are people who serve in roles that were designed for the non-frictionless experience. So if I change this, where does that leave you? It's a very difficult thing to do. I think the very first thing to do is to accept that it has to be done or else you will be left behind. I think, and I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but he wrote the brand flip and he talked about this disruption that was going to be coming before COVID. And he said, I give it about five years. And he's almost spot on. I think it's at about the five-year mark where he talked about there's going to be a disruption and organizations that didn't already start to change are going to have a difficult time. I think it's important to just start shifting the mindset and having the conversation around that we need to change and talking about what If we don't change, what will happen? I feel like that's a very difficult conversation to have. Brene Brown, let's talk about her. I have her book in in back of me. And let's talk about shame. A lot of times when we've been doing something one way for so long and we say that no longer works, for some reason, we take that and we start having some shame around it not working. So what happens when shame is in the professional space? We hold on to it. Because we got to save it. 
is something I created. I can't admit that this no longer works. When we talk about agility and pivoting, you have to say what I've been doing doesn't work and be okay with that and get over it and then start moving forward to even be able to do the difficult work of changing policies, procedures, all of these different things. None of that will matter if you can't say what I've been doing is wrong now. That is a very hard thing to do because here's the deal. A lot of times the things we've created, our entire organizations were built on them. We have awards on the walls for things that we've done. And those things now suddenly are not effective. It begins with that. I could go further again into let's set up different meetings and do strategy. I'm going to tell you, I've seen that those kind of things be put in place and nothing changed because we couldn't even accept that we need to let go of what it was. And that is going to require me to roll up my sleeves. And it's about to get messy and difficult. As you were saying that, I actually had a question that popped into my head that I've seen oftentimes in a couple of different organizations. And so everyone's talking about digital transformation, right? Why do you think that people will talk about learning about digital transformation and learning development seems to be an afterthought when it would seem that would be in lockstep or be a part of your digital transformation. What I've seen is that people like one organization in particular will has come, came in and spent a ton of money transforming every technical aspect of the organization in hopes of gaining advantage and sales and customer service and all these different things. But Mm -hmm. as they're doing that and they're bringing in the folks that can handle that infrastructure, but the learning and development was happening at a much slower pace which is one of the reasons why there was drag on the system for the digital transformation to move forward as quickly as it possibly could have, because they didn't factor in two things. One, in my opinion, just my observation was the learning and development aspect of it and culture. And I'll lean on culture because I think culture is what I was getting at as well, being able to, this is who we are. You want me to get rid of the thing that is the very essence of our identity? Oh no, I can't do that. Then who am I? So There's this, it's mental, it's emotional. It's a very deep thing. But I think if I'm making sure I'm hearing you, sometimes they'll even put those training programs in place. But again, if I haven't changed the minds around why we're doing what we need to do and how hard we need to pivot, we're used to, I'll say this, in education as well as other organizations, we're used to incremental change. That it we have an appetite for that. If it's just a slight something, not too much, then we're okay with it. The problem is our external environment has always been changing at a faster rate than we've been changing. And then COVID put that on the rails. And so now we got to change in such a way that we literally got to totally strip ourselves down and rebuild ourselves up. That is a mental thing. The reason I was tying learning and development to digital transformation is that people, one of the big movements is reskilling and upskilling. Yes. That's your learning and development. So your learning and development is to re- up, reskill and upskill. So your identity is changed and your learning and development doesn't speak to that aspect of your humanity. It's just saying you need to go from moving the Apple widgets to the orange widgets. And you're like, but I'm an Apple widget designer. And we never respect, right, as organizations, we never respect the fact that that's a change in who the person is, to your point. Mm-hmm. You actually did answer that question because that's exactly mm-hmm. what I think. I've seen is that they, it doesn't address that part of it. So thank you. For I mean, that. you see that sort of thing happen across an enterprise. 
people talk in big terms about we need to do this or digital transformation is great or we need to upskill and reskill. But you look at the overall strategy that nests under. So upskilling and reskilling is a learning and development function that sits under your talent strategy. But when you're talking about talent strategy at the enterprise level, what are most people talking about? How do we find more people to fill our roles? We're not talking about how do we onboard them properly. We're not talking about how do we succession plan and develop them properly. We're not talking about upskilling and reskilling our existing team properly. We're not talking about how do we retain our existing team properly. All of the attention is on the other stuff. How do we find more people? Maybe if you did a better job on all of the other stuff that your talent strategy incorporates, you wouldn't have to find people so often. You see the same thing. So another example is we're talking about the implications of what COVID did to higher ed and learning and development, but COVID had a bunch of impacts across any number of functions. So I'm in sales. Sales is basically trying to figure out how to get in front of somebody and have a conversation. So prior to COVID, you call and email people and they may or may not respond. Once COVID hit, nobody responded to anything. So what did people start doing? Oh, we need to get in front of more people. So we should call and email more. And all the data showed from Gong and Lavender and HubSpot and everywhere else, the volume of outreach across traditional channels went out two or three X or more. And the responses from customers went down to like below single digits. And then when as sales leaders, you enter in the conversation to people that might be doing the work or you're trying to solve the problem. How do you get answer the question? How do you get people to talk to us? And the answer is often, I'm just going to call an email. That's not working. The data already shows that it's not working. And it ties back to your point, Jesse, where people have gotten so attached to a particular thing that they forget about the outcome that they're trying to get to. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And that should be central in any design conversation, in any function. So when you're talking about, hey, what should our program look like? What are you trying to get to? Which is what you said. How should this be designed and delivered? What are you trying to get to? What are people demanding? So these are the... These are broad implications that you're touching on. This is my third soapbox, so I should probably get off at this point. No, that's good. And I think I think this will deviate us a little bit away from the main part of this topic, but it also has changed what sales and advertising is. People don't want to be sold to, but they might want to buy. So how do we approach that now? I don't think we've all together figured that out, but to me, it's about uncovering value and giving, I call it the try before you buy it. Where you can offer value, it's almost the concept behind the lead magnet, but not in the give you this piece of paper and that sort of thing, but something of real value, solve a problem for people, just put it out there. And then that's the way you got to sell nowadays for the most part. You can't just say, come buy for me. People are like, 60 other people just told me that in the last three seconds. No, thank you. Even if it's something I need. Hinting at one of the core principles that often comes up in this conversation, which is the concept of generosity. How are you driving value to me and my initiatives? And we can tie this into education. So I'm the student. And as the student, I'm evaluating how organizations are driving value to me in my educational experience. How are you meeting me where I am on demand, evergreen, convenient? How are you delivering that value to me before I make a purchasing decision? So when we take that into account, there are some serious implications in terms of program design, 
curriculum design, delivery to outcomes, education in general and learning and development in particular needs to be focused on that aspect of it. How are we being generous in meeting our customers where they're at? This is a good point for us to dive back into the conversation about how you've been able to impact it because you did some pretty innovative things in the face of COVID in a completely remote environment that shifted the paradigm to a certain extent in terms of how higher ed was delivering learning and development and training and education in ways that had never been done before. So tell us a little bit about what the environment looked like and then how you overcame that environment and what results it had. March 13th is the day that we, in my current role, that for the most part, most staff went home. And we were now trying to figure out what is this new thing that is happening and what do we do? In the midst of that, we're learning more about COVID. We are hearing because we respond to training needs or making sure that we're providing talent for certain programs. But during that time, we're also finding out that we're in need of a lot of contact tracers. And how do we train contact tracers in the middle of COVID? So I can't take the traditional approach of having them come to a classroom and do what they need to do. And we need to train a lot of them in a little bit of time. And there's just a lot going on. So how do we create this scalable, accessible experience where we can train a lot of people in a little bit of time? Mind you, we're all strained. So I want to also talk about the limited capacity of everyone who was exhausted because we're working around the clock trying to become online institutions which we were not. And trying to do all of this and like, how do we do this well? And how do we make sure that they come out of the experience being effective at being a contact trace as it relates to COVID? Contact tracing was not new at the time. It's been done for Ebola and some other things, but this was a different virus that we were also learning about daily. So how do we create an experience that also the curriculum can change very quickly as we're doing it and get people through the experience. Tune in next time where we learn how Dr. Jesse Wade Ivory took all of these considerations and developed and deployed a nationally recognized L&D program. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cascading Leadership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.